So our passage this morning, we're turning to the Word of God now, is Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 6. And uh, the, the title that I've put over today's sermon, and uh, there, there will be a, a snapshot of that on the screen, is Reality versus Reputation. Reality versus Reputation. So these are the words of the Lord Jesus. He is speaking to the church at Sardis. And let's just read this passage together. Jesus said, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So over these past three months, if you've been following with us um, on Sunday mornings, you'll know that our sermon series has focused on the marks of a healthy church. And we've studied uh, 13 marks of a healthy church. There is a summary of them uh, on the screen, just about to appear on the screen. And so today I wanted to stop and reflect on the series and bring it to some kind of conclusion. It's been a helpful, challenging series. But I guess like all teaching... From God's word, God expects a response from his people. And I suppose the first step in that response is recognizing where we are as a church in terms of spiritual health. Now some of you may remember the comedian uh, Spike Milligan. Uh, I must admit I wasn't a particular fan. But he famously said that he wanted the epitaph on his gravestone to read I told you I was ill I told you I was ill and I believe that is what is written on his gravestone now behind Milligan's joke there is the point that when it comes to assessing health outward appearance is not always an indication of underlying health a person may look healthy on appearance but inside may have serious health issues 
And I suppose it's the same when you're buying a, a car, a second-hand car. You know, my, my dad always said, look under the bonnet. And whenever I've bought a car, a second-hand car, a car, that's what I've done. I've, I've lifted, asked to see under the bonnet. Now, I have no idea what I'm looking for. The engine might not even be there, and I would still say, looks good. But I'm thinking that the car salesman is thinking he knows about cars. But it's the same principle when it comes to the health of a church, that appearances are not always an accurate indication of the health of a church. Neither is activity. For a true assessment of the spiritual health of the church, there is only one person who we can turn to, and that is Jesus. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is presented as the one who walks among his churches. He's the Lord of the churches and he gives his assessment of the spiritual health of seven churches that were in existence at that time. And to each church, Jesus says, I know, I know your works. I know everything. Nothing is hidden from me. I know where you are spiritually. I know the issues. I know the problems. I know your needs. And I can meet your need. Now in Revelation uh, chapter 3 verses 1 to 6, Jesus gives his assessment of the church at Sardis. And his assessment couldn't be further from man's assessment of that church. In fact, it's the polar opposite. Seen through man's eyes, this church was alive. It was busy. It was active. But seen through the eyes of Jesus, the reality of the situation was a million miles away. It was dead. In terms of its effectiveness as a witness for Christ, as a light for Jesus Christ, it was spiritually dead. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead, says Jesus. Now Sardis was a rich city. It was located in Turkey. It was a trade city. It had built its fortunes on the back of the wool and garment industries. It was also a producer of gold jewelry. And it was a wealthy city. It was a city with an illustrious past. It was a city with a reputation. It was the ancient capital of the the Lydian kingdom. It was associated with King Midas. You know, the man who for whom everything he touched turned to gold. It was associated with King Croesus, thought to be the wealthiest king that ever lived. You may have heard the expression, as rich as Croesus. It was also a fortress city. It was built on a 1,500-foot rock promontory, and it was thought to be utterly invincible. And all of these things led to an air of complacency, to a spirit of self-reliance among the citizens of the city of Sardis. They were comfortable. They felt secure. But it was a city whose appearance flattered to deceive. And its appearance betrayed the true reality of its position. 
it had a number of serious breaches in its defences. There were a number of secret gullies and ravines in the rocks surrounding the city. And eventually the city was captured, first of all by the Persians and then by Alexander the Great. But the point is there were parallels between the city and the church. A church perhaps where many were comfortable, where many felt secure. And a church like the city that had a reputation, a reputation of being alive, but the reality was far removed. You know, it reminded me of a story of an elderly Japanese gentleman by the name of Sogan Kato. And this story is maybe six or seven years old. And at one point, Sogan Kato held the honor of being Tokyo's oldest living person. He was reckoned to be 111 years old. However, no one had been able to visit Mr. Kato, except his family with whom he lived. And on numerous occasions, the authorities um, visited his house to honor him. And every time they visited, they were greeted by a member of the family who said, who said that it wasn't a convenient for Mr. Cato to meet with them. He was either too frail, asleep, or some other excuse. Excuse after excuse. This went on. And suspicions grew over time that something wasn't quite right. And then the police were called in. And eventually entry was gained into Mr. Cato's residence. And there in a bedroom in the house they found the mummified remains of Mr. Cato. He had been dead for over 30 years. The family had kept his name alive. Why? Well, they wanted to continue to claim his pension and other Benefits. He had the reputation of being alive, but in reality, he was dead. Now, the story doesn't end there. This sparked a wider investigation across Japan, which showed that there were over a quarter of a million cases of people believed to be over a hundred years old, still claiming pensions and benefits, but the authorities didn't know whether they were actually alive or dead. And there were potentially thousands of Sogan Katos who had the reputation of being alive, but in reality were actually dead. Now this is exactly the point that Jesus is making here as he speaks to the church at Sardis. That back in those days, and even today there are churches that have the reputation, the appearance of being alive. Perhaps appearing to be healthy and active and busy, but in reality their true condition is far from their appearance. And perhaps in some cases, like Sardis, they are dead. And perhaps like Sogan Cato, they died a long time ago. But the key point from Revelation chapter 3 is this, that Jesus 
can revitalize even a dead church like Sardis. That no matter the underlying spiritual health of a church, if the members of that church are prepared to respond and to follow Jesus' instructions, there is potential for recovery and for revival. And the point I want to make from this passage today is this, that it's not for us to assess the health of Hebron. But it is for us as a church to ask Jesus to assess the health of Hebron and to seek him. Because all all those marks of a healthy church, this is what it boils down to. This is the key to every mark of a healthy church. It is to be a church that is dependent on Jesus Christ. Paul in Ephesians 4, he reminds us that Jesus Christ is the life of the church. He is the head from whom the whole body is joined and held together. He reminds us that it is Jesus who makes the body grow. And in Ephesians chapter 4, he explains that the body grows as every member makes themselves available and usable for Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's just look a little closer at what Jesus says to the church at Sardis. Samuel, if you could maybe put the, the next slide up on the screen, thanks. Each, of, each letter to the seven churches here follows a similar pattern. Each letter begins with an appearance of the Lord Jesus to the church. He then gives his assessment of that church. And then he makes an appeal to that church. Appearance, assessment, and an appeal. Let's think first about the appearance of Jesus to the church at Sardis. In verse 1, he describes himself as him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. What does this mean? What is Jesus teaching the church here by revealing himself in this way? He has the seven spirits of God. It takes us back to to chapter 1, to to verse verse 4. We read it earlier. There is a reference there to the seven spirits who are before his throne, before the throne of God. Now these are not seven individual spirits. It is a title of the Holy Spirit of God. Now the number seven in scripture is used to signify completeness or perfection. You know, you think of creation. You think even in the book of Revelation, the unfolding of God's judgment, and it's, and it's in a series of sevens. And so this title describes the completeness, the fullness, the perfection of the work and power of the Holy Spirit. He is a sevenfold spirit. That's the idea. And it's Christ who gives the Holy Spirit to the church. He dispensed the Spirit at Pentecost. And so Jesus is pointing the church here at Sardis to his limitless power. 
Through the function and operation of the Holy Spirit, he has the seven spirits of God. He also has the seven stars. Now again, back in chapter 1, we are told that these stars are the angels of the seven churches. And it's to the angels of the churches that Jesus communicates his assessment. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, says Jesus. It's to the angels that Jesus makes known the issues, the problems that he has identified in each of these seven churches. Now here's the lesson. That whatever the problems, whatever the issues facing the church, no matter its scale, Jesus has the power to meet the need of that church. He has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's the truth behind his appearance. Now he gives his assessment. I know your works. He is the omniscient God. He has perfect knowledge. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows where each member is spiritually with him. He knows the condition of each and every one of his churches. I know your works. No, this church had works. It had activity. That was not the problem. That was not the issue. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. His assessment. Now his appeal in verse 2. And this is hugely encouraging. That even a church that Jesus describes as dead, he still cares. And he still longs for that church to be alive. For that church to be living with his power and in his vitality. And Jesus is still willing for that church to bear his light and to be a witness and testimony for him. But there has to be a response. And so he makes his appeal, and there are three parts to his appeal. Verse 2. Here's the first part. Wake up. Wake up. Or be watchful. They had gone to sleep. Wake up. You know, what a message for every church in our country. Perhaps COVID-19 has been the wake-up call that everyone has needed. Perhaps God has been revealing the underlying condition of his church and telling us that we need to wake up and repent and return to him. Wake up. The second part of, of Jesus' appeal. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's really the picture of a fire. The picture of a fire that it's, that's dying out. The last embers are glowing and it's about to go out. And it needs that breath of air to come into the fire. I don't know if you've ever 
ever done that trick with the piece of newspaper holding it in front of the fire and it just sucks up the air underneath it and it brings the fire back to life. It's like the church that's slowly dying. It needs that fresh breath of the Holy Spirit. For, says Jesus, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. There is no power, there is no sense of dependency upon God. And now the third and final part of Jesus' appeal. It is a call, it is actually a command for the church to repent. Look at verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. You know, Jesus commands five of these seven churches to repent. There were two where he had no condemnation. This is a widespread problem. Jesus says, remember what you received and heard. Remember the truth that you were taught. Remember the gospel that you embraced. Keep it. Hold on to it. Defend it. Stand upon it. Build your life upon it. Keep it. And repent. This is more than just individual Repentance, it it includes that. It is the church coming together before God to repent collectively, to confess our sin, our weaknesses, our failures, to confess it before God and to seek His forgiveness. It's what we learned back in our study of Nehemiah. Remember, before there could be that rebuilding of the people of God, there had to be that collective repentance. Remember, Ezra read the law to the people in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, the people responded to God's word. In the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel assembled with fasting, with, with sackcloth, with earth on their heads, and stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities. For a quarter of the day they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. This is where spiritual recovery begins. And it may feel uncomfortable. But it's actually the best place to be. And it's the safest place to be. Look at the rest of verse 3. If you will not wake up, says Jesus, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So as we bring this series of the marks of a healthy church to a close, and we've looked at 13 marks of a healthy church, there should be a 14th. And it's a church that is prepared to repent and confess its sin before God.
And at the end of this series, it is good to bring our focus back to Jesus Christ. Because it's not for us, in a sense, to assess the health of this church. It's for Jesus. And it's for us to respond to him. He is the one who walks in the midst of his church. Who knows the true health of this church and every church. And it's for us, as his church, to seek him. He has the seven spirits of God. His power is limitless. He knows our needs. And he alone has the power to meet our needs. This is where true revitalization begins. It is the starting point. And before a church can stand, surely it has to be on its knees in prayer, in worship before Jesus. And in repentance before God. You know at some point in the coming weeks. There will be a return to church prayer. Now that we can meet in person. And we want to do that with a series of themed focused prayer events. Which will include church repentance. We need to lay the foundation in prayer Jesus says to this church today he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches may God bless his word let's close in prayer Lord your word is living It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, we think of what we've learned over these past months from Nehemiah, from the marks of a healthy church, from your word today. Lord, we pray that we would respond to your voice. We bow before the Lord Jesus. He is head of the church. He knows our works. We acknowledge that he alone can meet our need. Lord, we confess our sins before you for any sense of self prevalent among us, self-reliance, self-dependency, self-worth. Lord, may we truly understand that our dependency and reliance is upon Jesus. Without you, we can do nothing. Lord, may the breath of your Holy Spirit blow into all of our lives. And may you set this church ablaze for your glory. Help us, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.